Hey, you guys, this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. This is season three. We're in episode 10 today. And as you know, we are studying the Book of Mormon. This week's study is 2 Nephi chapters 31 through 33. We are ending out 2 Nephi this week. Um, so kind of exciting jumping into a new book next week. Now, before we go but any kind further, of sad. What? I have a big announcement to make. Uh-oh. You know how in Beauty and the Beast... <laughs> That you don't know the name of the beast, like it's kind of awkward at the end of the, at the end of the movie. Belle says, like when she's looking at the beast after he turns into the prince, yeah, and she says, "It is you," because she doesn't actually know his name, like because it's just beast, yeah, and which they're gonna have an awkward marriage anyway. Like you know, he doesn't have any people skills. He's been an animal for the last ten years, and, and they don't know animal. each other's names, and and he looked better as a beast than he did as a human, and he's got kind of weird features and. <laughs> Anyway, we were listening to that in the car. This has nothing to do with anything, but you all need to know this. We're listening to the book on tape in the car. And my daughter said two very, um, very enlightening things about Beauty and the Beast. Number one. Keep um, in mind she's five. I don't know what he's going to say, but that might be well, number one, crucial she said, to the story. She said he turns into Prince Uglyface. <laughs> I was asking them, like, guys, what's his name? And she says, Prince Uglyface. <laughs> And then my son says, his name's Sean. <laughs> and then he said, like, Sean McMinneth. And I said, where did that name even come from? He says, I don't know. That's just his name, Sean McMinneth. So announcement, the beast's true name is Sean McMinneth. Wow. That was very interesting. Anyway, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, <laughs> where we study the scriptures most of the time. And... Beauty and the Beast and tell you the more important things in life. I always, that was always my favorite part to laugh at at the end of the movie when Beast turns around. This is the Disney version. You mean Sean? When Sean, Sean turns around. turns around and he is like looking into, with his flared, flared nostrils. <laughs> I think that's exactly, anyway. Woo, we're getting off topic now. Anyway. We are excited for this episode. We had a really cool privilege this week to be able to be with one of the stakes um, uh, here in Utah, and um, they invite us to come speak at their at their stake uh, relief society women's conference, women's conference. Usually, what they call it. But. And um, and it was really cool. In fact, we felt we felt almost silly because it got to our turn to speak, and the conference had been so incredible and amazing that we both wanted to stand up and just say like we're like we're done it was literally one of those can things you add to yeah. this, right well the theme of their conference was choose to believe and they had all of these wonderful stories people sharing their experiences where they chose to believe even when life was really hard when it was physically difficult when it was emotionally difficult when there were things happening in their life and as i was sitting there listening to that to to all these incredible speakers and their and their stories um, the question kept circling in my head, and it's been kind of in my head for the past couple of weeks. Um, two words, now what? Um, as I listened to these women tell their stories, I realized so many of them had hit these moments in their life when they had the question, now what? What do I do now? Either this major event has happened in my life that's destroyed what I thought would be my future, now what? 
And I thought of how often that could apply or how universally that could apply to so many different people. For example, a brand new convert, uh, new in the church, has reason to ask the question, now what? Now that I'm baptized, I'm done meeting with the missionaries, now what? Um, Someone that's struggling with their faith, that has doubts or comes across uh, details about church history or about church politics or whatever it is that causes them to wrestle with their faith, and they might hit this moment where they go, well, now what? Now that my faith isn't unencumbered with, with complexity, now what? Well, as I was thinking of that, I realized that two years ago when we studied this exact block in our podcast, we titled the episode, What Now or What Next? And the reason why we did that was because at the end of chapter 31 in 2 Nephi, Nephi is explaining the doctrine of Christ, and then he gets to verse 19, and he says, And now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask you if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay. And so, two years ago, we studied, how do you get answers to the now what question of your life? However, that question is so much more personal to me now. Two years ago, it was it was this wonderful kind of academic study of the Book of Mormon, Now it's so much more personal because we have had the occasion to ask these now what questions in our life as big things have happened. Um, And we have friends and family members that have asked similar questions. And so this now what question is so much more important to us than it was two years ago. Therefore, the answer that Nephi gives is so much more important. And what we want to do this episode is dive in to one specific answer Nephi gives. In chapter 32, verse 3, the very famous one, Nephi exhorts his listeners to feast on the words of Christ because the words of Christ can tell them all things, tell us all things that we should do. In other words, the words of Christ will answer the now what questions of your life. And what we want to do on this episode is answer the question of how can we better feast upon the words of Christ? And that's really what we were asked to talk about in this conference. It kind of all ties together in that, that um, talking about choosing to believe in God's word and how we can use that as something that helps our life. Isn't that the question? I mean, I think that's the question all of us have. And we get that asked that question more than anything else is, how do I study my scriptures? And we really get this answer in these chapters. Nephi tells us to feast upon the words. And that's great, but how do we even do that? And so that's what we're hoping to kind of set up in these chapters is based on what Nephi's saying, let's get some tips from him on how to do that. And we're going to study these things in that frame of how to study your scriptures, how to feast upon the word. It's kind of, um, this has been a fun study for us because it's allowed us the chance to culminate Um, so many different principles we've learned about scripture studying as we've worked together and use those combined or those culminated principles to study this block of scripture. And so we want to outline three principles that we think can make a huge difference in your ability to feast on the words of Christ. Um, And then we're going to show an example of how we would use those principles in this current block. We would invite you to do the same thing. But you could use this with any block of scripture. These principles are universal no matter what it is that you're studying. This is a great block to study because these are the final words of Nephi the prophet. He knows that he's ending his portion of the record. And uh, and so it's a really deep pool to dive into. So 
kind of his final pleadings with everyone to just say, no, really do this. This is what, this is what he delights in. This is what he wants to tell us is how to choose God's word as well. So he has the same war cry that we do, I think. That's it. Well, I don't think. He, he has a be- much better war cry than we do. So, um, The first principle is um, we study the scriptures often in search of truths about the gospel. But the scriptures were written to give us truths about God. And so the first principle is studying not just to learn the gospel, but to learn or get to know God. And just to prove that this is the whole point of scriptures, I think we've done this before, but um, chapter one, very beginning chapter of the Book of Mormon, verse 20, Nephi says, I, Nephi, will show unto you the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. In other words, his whole point in writing is I want to show you that God is tender, that he's merciful, that he's loving, and that he empowers his people. First Nephi chapter 6, verse 4, The fullness of my intent is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and be saved. Chapter 19, verse 18, And I, Nephi, have written these things that I might pers- perhaps persuade them that they would remember the Lord their Redeemer. Second Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. And then in this block, chapter 33, verse 10, And now, my beloved brethren, and also Jew and all ye ends of the earth, hearken unto these words and believe in Christ. And if you believe not in these words, believe in Christ. And if you shall believe in Christ, you will believe these words, for they are the words of Christ. And he hath given them unto me, and they teach all men that they should do good. In other words, the whole point of Nephi writing the Book of Mormon is to teach us about God, not just to teach us about the gospel that God gives us. Now, it's not wrong at all to study the scriptures and find truths about the gospel or examples of scriptural heroes or, uh, oh, I really love what Nephi did here. I really love what he said here. I really love this point or that point or this point. But um, if we, if you study the scriptures and you find a truth about the gospel, but you aren't able to connect it overtly and clearly to the God who gives us that gospel, you might not have studied deep enough yet. In fact, that's how I would describe deep study of the scriptures is being able to connect what I'm learning directly to God. And then of course, directly to my own personal life. Well, isn't that what we've been talking about all this year, um, really framing the Book of Mormon in a new way. Um, For me, I know I was a little apprehensive. I think I've shared this. I was just not as excited as I wanted to be about studying the Book of Mormon this year. And when we put that new, I say a new spin on it, but for me, it was just that a new fresh frame for how to look at the Book of Mormon. It's exactly this, looking for God, the God at work behind all of these stories that we're really familiar with. How is he at work in their lives? What is he doing? How is he doing it? And I mean, essentially they're kind of, you can kind of think that, well, they're kind of the same thing. Well, it is his gospel, but when we really realize um, and put that into your study, I think, I mean, for me, it's been completely eye-opening, completely revolutionary in my study this year. And so I think this one can be 
may be a simple, it's various, a very simple one, but it really can change, change your outlook on, on the whole Book of Mormon and on your entire study. So here's an example from my study this week. Um, chapter 31, we know that verses, the beginning verses, Nephi is explaining the doctrine of Christ. And the first thing that he explains is baptism. Now, as I studied these, one of the things that stood out to me is as I was looking for God, or as I was looking for Christ, I realized that what Nephi was teaching about baptism was pretty sharply contrasted most of the lessons and teachings I have heard about baptism. Not that those are wrong, but they're not what Nephi was teaching. For example, we often hear taught that baptism is for the remission of sins, which of course it is. And that the reason we choose to get baptized is so that our sins can be washed away. However, Nephi doesn't teach that at all. Listen to what Nephi teaches the purpose of baptism is. Starting in verse 4. Wherefore I would that you should remember that I have spoken unto you concerning that prophet which the Lord showed unto me that should baptize the Lamb of God which should take away the sins of the world. Notice the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, not the baptism. And to exemplify that point, Nephi talks about the baptism of the Lamb of God. Obviously, he didn't need baptism to wash away sins because he didn't have any. And so the purpose of the Savior's baptism wasn't to wash away his sins. So what was it then? Verse 5. And now if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, oh then how much more need have we, being unholy, to be baptized, yea, even by water? And now I would ask you, my beloved brethren, wherein the Lamb of God did fulfill all righteousness in being baptized by water? Know you not that he was holy? But notwithstanding he being holy, he showeth unto the children of men that, according to the flesh, he humbleth himself before the Father, and witnesseth unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. Verse 9. And again it showed unto the children of men the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter, he having set the example before them. I've often, and maybe you've thought the same thing, I've, I've often wondered... We talk about baptism, the primary purpose of baptism, as washing away sins. And yet, children who are eight get baptized, and we believe that they aren't held accountable for their actions, and so they have no sins. So if the primary purpose, if we reduce baptism to simply being the washing away of sins, then it has little effect for an eight-year-old. It has no effect um, for the Son of God. And I think what Nephi is explaining is that that's not the fullness of what baptism is. The point of baptism is that we witness to God that we are willing to obey him and keep his commandments for the rest of our lives. Um, verse 10, And he, meaning Jesus, said unto the children of men, Follow thou me. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus, save we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father? And the father said, repent, repent, and be baptized in the name of my son. And so for me, as I looked for God in these verses, I realized that baptism isn't just for the washing away of sins. Baptism is, of course, this covenant where I promise to humble myself before God, put his will before mine, and obey his commandments. And that's what I'm renewing when I partake of the sacrament. It's not just a cleansing of sins. It's a renewal of covenants, it's a renewal of promise, and it's a renewal of my connection to God. 
I really like thinking of it as that connection to God. Again, we can get so wrapped up into these gospel, even in these chapters, faith, repentance, baptism. You know, I've done those things. Now all I need to do is endure to the end and then I'm good. But I think in that we're disconnecting ourselves from God. No, this is this is renewing the covenant each week. The sacrament gives us this opportunity to connect with God, to renew those covenants and bind ourselves to him in a in a deeper way each week. So I think even as we have these covenants that we're making and we have these actions that we're taking, um, let's not leave God out of those either. I think he's there and and that's why we have them is to connect with him. So the next point in really learning how to feast is um, taking the truths from the scriptures, from this public sermon to more of a personal sermon, a personal truth that you're finding. Um, We see Nephi really delighting. I mean, he says that all the time, right? We brought that up in past episodes. And here he is again in chapter 31, verse 3. He says, For my soul delighteth in plainness, for after this manner doth the Lord God work among the children of men. For the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding, for he speaketh unto men according to their language unto their understanding. So what we mean by this is Nephi gives us a great example. His soul delighteth in the plainness because it has spoken to his heart. He feels it. He knows it. That's why he feels so strongly about Isaiah. Um, Maybe this is my personal opinion on this, but Nephi gets so much strength and delight from Isaiah and recites Isaiah so much because Isaiah has shown him who God is. He's made it so personal. Those words from Isaiah are his, are to his heart. His personal witness of the Savior comes from these scriptures. He has made these very personal. Well, you see Nephi's emotion in chapter 33. Um, this is where he says, I've written what I've written. I esteem it to be of great worth, especially to my people. I pray continually for them by day. My eyes water my pillow by night. Because of them, I cry unto my God in faith. In other words, Nephi's writing because this means something to him personally, not just because the gospel is true for all people everywhere. And I sometimes wonder if we study the scriptures in a public way and not necessarily in a personal or a private way. In other words, we love to study and say, look at that verse. Isn't it great that Christ died for us or that God loves us? For all of us. Right. But it's something different to be able to say, that's about me. That's God talking to me. Just as another example um, of this, and you can go through and find a bunch of these, but let's talk about chapter 33, verse 6. Pretty easy one. He says, I glory in plainness, I glory in truth, I glory in my Jesus, for he hath redeemed my soul from hell. And you can see that and think, wow, that's really cool. This is how Nephi feels. But how about yourself? What about you personally? Are you glorying in that plainness? Are you glorying into in that truth? And are you glorying in Jesus? And do you feel that he hath redeemed your soul from hell? We know that that's happened for Nephi, but can you take that for you personally and say, I, I have felt that too. I love Nephi's choice of pronoun that's there. It's not that he's redeemed our soul from hell. It's not that he's redeemed his people's souls mm-hmm. from hell. 
Nephi's truth there isn't that Jesus Christ redeems our souls from hell. It's that Jesus Christ redeemed my soul from hell. Um, Elder Bednar said that famously, that um, one of the things he's worried about is that we have so many members of the church that know that Jesus Christ died for us, but they don't know that he died for them individually. They have a testimony of these universal truths of the gospel, but when it, when you ask them, yeah, but do you believe that about you? They may not believe it. The third principle comes from chapter 32, verse 3, that great verse we read right at the beginning. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. What I noticed about that this time is that feasting on the words of Christ, studying your scriptures in this deep and personal way, isn't about finding verses that you like. It's about finding truth that you want to live. And that's the third principle. Um, it's wonderful to come across a verse that is just great to read. And you write it down in a journal or a notebook or you print it out or you order a copy of it online and you put it in a frame and you put it up in your house. And that's wonderful because you like that verse so much. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the purpose of the scriptures. The scriptures weren't written, written to give us cool quotes that we can frame in our house. The scriptures were written so that we can feast on them and know what we should do to come closer to God and to have a happier life. And so when Nephi says, almost, you can almost sense his frustration here. Don't you get it? I told you that if you would feast on the words of Christ, they will tell you what you should do next. Um, as an example, some of the most well-known and beloved scriptures in chapter 32, because they used to be scripture mastery, are verses 8 and 9. Um, this is where Nephi tells people, his people, to pray always and not faint. And we love that phrase, and I love the way that it sounds, and I've written it down, and I've taught it. But as I read it this time, looking for something, looking for what I sensed God wanted me to live, this verse came alive for me. Uh, verse 9. Behold, I say unto you that you must pray always and not faint, that you must not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place you shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. As I read that, reading personally and looking for God, all of a sudden I realized this isn't just a universal truth that I have always liked. This was God telling me that I needed to make a change in the way that I lived the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the change I needed to make was that you must not perform anything except you pray first to the Father and ask that he consecrate your efforts for your good and for the good of those around you. And I realized that far too often in my life, I logic things out. I think them through. I make plans and I make arrangements. And when it makes sense, then I go forward with it. And what God was telling me to do is I want you to slow down and I want you to talk to me. I want you to give me the chance to direct you and instruct you. That's what it means for you, Zach, to pray always. Now, if you're reading personally for you, you might get different things that God wants you to do from that verse. But the power comes when you stop asking, oh, what is it that I like so much about this verse? And instead ask, what is it that God wants me to do? What is it that he wants me to live because of what I'm reading? You know, I think this one is 
one of the most important, I shouldn't say that they're all important, but, um, I think we can, it can become scary. I think when we think like, oh no, I don't know how to pray about everything, or I don't know how to find out how he's going to tell me all things that you should do. That sounds really great, but how do I do that? And I think for me personally, as, um, I've tried to do some of these things that we've talked about and really just tried to, like Zach was saying, maybe slow down and listen more for what God is telling me. Um, I think instead of overwhelming, um, it's more comforting and it becomes more a part of your life. And just to read this again, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. This shouldn't be overwhelming to us. We mentioned last week this fireside that we were able to go with Elder Bednar that was the training for the seminaries and institutes. And one of the things that he said as I was just looking back through my through my notes from that was a quote from him where he said, you are living in the revelation. And that's what he was talking about is how do we hear God's voice? That's the, the question that all of us have. Am I hearing his voice? Do I even know? And maybe you felt pressure or maybe you're not sure what President Nelson is inviting us to do. That is what he's inviting us to do too. Just this past week, we heard from him, how do you hear God's voice? You either got an email or you saw him talking on social media about um, hear him is kind of what we're focusing on as we focus on the restoration and Easter coming up. President Nelson has talked about revelation since he became prophet and even before that. This is something that's really important. We need to turn to things to tell. We need to turn to God to tell us what we should do. But let's take a step back and realize that when we look for God, using these principles that we talked about today, when we're looking for God in the scriptures, in our prayers, in our lives, when we're making the scriptures personal to us, when we are living, looking for ways to live in the scriptures, God is going to talk to us. You are living in the revelation. Just like Elder Bednar said, you are living in it. We do not have to look far because God is there. He's all around us. He wants to tell us the things that we should do. We open up our scriptures, I think, as a sign that to show God. It's a very physical thing that we can do as humans to say, God, I'm listening and I am ready. And I'm going to read the words of prophets, but you're going to teach me more and you're going to lead me to to say a prayer and to listen to you and to write things down in my journal, looking at scripture study as a way to devote some time to God each day so that he knows that you're listening to him because you are living in the revelation and you can find him and find ways to hear him just like President Nelson has invited. And hopefully um, some of these tips on how to feast in, in God's word can help you find him a little more in your life because I think that's what we all need a little more of. I know that's what we all need a little more of. So try it out on your own. Um, Feast on the words of Christ and seek to learn not just the gospel, but the God behind the gospel. Seek to study not just the public truths, but the personal ones. And seek to not just find things that you like, but things that God wants you to live. And watch as God talks to you through his living word. Thank you so much for studying with us this episode, and we will see you next week.